Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was going to happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh-huh. Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we're in the book of James. And as I continue to write this exciting title here, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of James. You're catching on. And we're going to read a brand new verse. I'm excited about it. Uh, book of James, chapter 1. Okay. You guys really didn't think we were in chapter 2, did you? Oh, that's good. James, chapter 1. Let's take a look there. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Woohoo! Cruising now. James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 to grab the context. Uh, of our study. Good stuff going on here. Once again, man, you talk about the Greek popping out. Just a verb tense, man, changes everything. And that's what we're going to see, Lord willing, today. James chapter 1, when you get there, say moo. Moo, that's a good enough consensus. Music to my ears, let's start. James, a servant of who? God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, again, the early church going forth, consider it what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that testing your faith develops perseverance, something good. And perseverance, what? Must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now listen, there's a double bonus. We're going to get to this. Now, during that trial, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God. And God's stingy and he's going to make you go through the hoops and he's going to hold it out from you and make you grovel. And No, listen to this. He who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will, no doubt about it, it will be given to him. An amazing blessing. Again, so far we've seen in the context of our book of James study, it's the first uh, book written uh, chronologically in the New Testament. And the purpose is, it's an acid test that the church, the scattered we saw there, is finally going out, doing what Jesus said to do, to be a witness for him uh, in the world. Uh, he provides this acid test. Why? Because as it was then, so it is today. There's a lot of people who go to church services and hang around and do church stuff, but that doesn't mean that they're Christians. And so when they get out there, he wants them to be a positive advertisement, a true advertisement. The last thing that God wants is when people go out in the name of Jesus Christ is to give the lost a false impression of Jesus Christ. 
let alone a false gospel, okay? So he provides this acid test, and we've saw so far that that first acid test is all around the issue of trials, okay? Do you hold on to Jesus in your trials? If you don't, if you walk away from Jesus, truly so, I'm an atheist, I'm going through the cold or whatever, blah, blah, the Bible says you were not a Christian. I didn't say that, God did. Okay, that's clearly dealt with in the scripture. But the good thing for the Christian who goes through trials, because Christians, non-Christians, we all go through trials, is the good thing is he says there, listen, Christian, God's going to do something good in your trial. And we saw that several different times, right? But you also have the ability from God to go through those trials with joy. And that's the amazing news that we saw the last three verses. We can still have great uh, joy in our trials. Why? What's the whole purpose? Why would God do that? I think because he loves us, or his children. But remember, what's the higher purpose? What's the purpose of this book? That we are out there in the world to be a positive witness for who? Jesus. And think about what a witness that would be. Can you imagine running into somebody who goes through trials just like you as a non-Christian, but this person, they go through trials too, but they have a different attitude. They've got this constant joy. Uh, They're just always on the, the positive side. There's just something about their countenance. There's something about their attitude. It's like, how do you do that? Right? So I really believe that this joy that we can have constantly, it's not just merely for us. I think that's part of it because God loves us as his children. But what's the higher purpose? What's the theme of this book? He wants you, Christian, to be a positive witness. It, wouldn't that be a phenomenal witness to the lost? Just, where do you, what? Because the world tries to sell you, quote, happiness, not joy. And it always comes with strings attached and it never delivers. It always costs. But this is free. It's a great, wonderful witnessing tool. And the first way we saw we can have this constant joy so far in the book of James and be that positive witness is we need to look forward to the good that's in the trial. Remember we saw that for many, many weeks. We saw at least 20 great things that God's doing for the Christian in the trial. And then, of course, we saw the big one. If you're not a Christian, uh, the good is not only to expose you as a non-Christian, but it's to hopefully get you to heaven. That God sometimes will use our trials to lead us to him. Uh, I like what one guy said this. He said, the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. Isn't that good? For Christians, why is God allowing us to go through this? Because you're a soldier for him now. But the worth of a soldier, you don't find out what you're really made of in times of peace. Okay, the second way that we saw is to uh, not only to look forward, let's go ahead and do this, is to not only look forward to the, the good, okay, is we need to let it finish. Okay, as we saw, if you remember last time, we need to let it finish uh, it's work. We have to uh, not resist the trials. We have to not run from them. We don't hate them. We milk these babies for all they're worth. Why? Because if you don't allow it to finish its course, verse 4 says, then you're going to miss out on the blessing, okay? You're not going to learn the lesson that's for your good, okay, if you resist this or run from it. And God's more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. So guess what? You're not only going to miss the blessing, but you're going to take one of those spiritual laps, you're going to learn it sooner or later. You might as well. The idea and the verb in the Greek there is submit to it. The idea is just submit to it with joy and learn it the first time. Okay? Now we come to the third way that we can be that positive witness for Jesus. How we can have that constant joy in the midst of our trials. And this is this. We need to let something else happen. We need to let God, key word there, give you his uh, wisdom. Let God give you his wisdom and that's there in verse 5 it says if any of you lacks wisdom what should he do call 1-800 psychics man you see the commercials i mean i know it's uncomfortable and is it really real i mean it's really impersonal oh my psychic they're even offering can you believe that 
The whole, underline this, he should ask God. Four words, that's all we're getting to today because I really think this is the crux of why we make our trials even worse. We don't, I mean, we, how many times have we read over this and we skip over those four words, but we don't even do it. If you're going through a trial, if you're in a pickle and you need some great advice during a trial, anybody need to know what to do in the midst of a trial you've ever been in? All right, so what's, what's the scripture say to do? It's simple, go to God last, after everything else. Well, that's usually what we do. You know, you need to go God first. I like what one guy said. He says, prayer, prayer, going to God, communicating with him, presenting your request to him. Okay, prayer is not a spare tire in the trunk. First priority, you need to go to God. One guy said this, so you're going through a trial, you're going through a struggle, you're trying to sort it out, you're asking questions about why is this happening, why is it going on, questions like Job asked, and you're wondering how can you grasp this? How can you get an understanding on the issues of life? Why are you going through this? Why is this affecting you? In those times, in all those times, when you cannot sort out the issues of life, you ask God. Now what's interesting here, just like with the submit thing we saw last time, this is not an option. This is actually a command in the scripture. You need to go to God. You ask God. He didn't say ponder about thinking about. He didn't say, you know, call somebody else up on the phone and think of maybe could you, what do you think? Should I ask God? This is a command. You need to go to God. Just like we need to submit to it, don't ponder it, uh, don't uh, uh, run from it, don't hate it, don't resist it. Your knee-jerk reaction Christian when we go through a trial, bang, you immediately go to God. It's a command. Now, double whopper in the Greek here. It's not just you need to go to God. This is a command. Listen, in the Greek, it's a continual command. This is wild. It's, uh, to me, I'm just, it's like God screaming out of the text. Listen, I'm not just saying this is what you need to do. And this isn't just what I'm telling you to do. The Greek literally says you need to keep on doing this. It literally says there, you need to not just go to God. It says you need to keep on going to God. Let me read to you what the Greek actually says. In fact, let me back up and give you the full flavor of what's going on in verse 5. In the English, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now listen to what the Greek literally says, with the verb tensing and everything. And if, as is the case, any of you, when undergoing these trials, is deficient in wisdom... Let him keep on presenting his request in the presence of the giving God who gives to all with simplicity and without reserve and who does not reproach the recipient in any manifestation of displeasure or regret and it shall be given to him. And the first aspect there, this is, it's amazing, wonderful comfort for us as Christians. But he says there, listen, I'm not just commanding you to come to me. I'm telling you, you need to come to me continually. It says there, listen, let him keep on presenting his request in the presence of the giving God. Don't stop. Why? Well, I think part of it is because when you go to God in prayer, okay, he answers all the prayers, okay? Every single time, did you know that? He's not there going, man, man, I can't hear you, playing little games. Okay, it's just he does it in three different ways. Okay, he either says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not now or not yet. Okay, you got to wait. And it's usually in the no and the waiting that we assume that he didn't hear it. No, he hears this every time. But sometimes he's going to say, wait. So what do you do? <laughs> no, you keep on. You keep on presenting your request. Like the lady who came to the judge, repeat it. You just keep on. Keep on coming to God. And you just keep on, as we're going to see the other aspect of this, and don't doubt, 
But you keep on, you don't doubt. He's going to let you know. If anybody wants you to know his will, don't you think it's God? Who wants us to follow his will? God. So why when we say, God, I need to know your will. What's going on? Why, what do you want? How can I please you in this? Remember those questions? What's my responsibility in this? How would my attitude change about this? Okay. If anybody wants you to know, it's God. He's not going to go up there. Well, I want you to know my will, but I'm going to play a game with you. <laughs> 20 questions. Guess. He's going to, oh man, wait till we, Lord willing, get that far. He's going to pour it out on you like you can't even believe. You just keep going to him. Don't doubt. And it's coming. It's coming. Anybody get excited about when your birthday comes up or, or well, usually when you get older, it's just another day, isn't it? Uh, or something, whatever, something exciting. You're getting ready for vacation. Heading, you're just, it gets more exciting the closer you get, right? And this is the same thing. Maybe you're asking God for wisdom in this trial. Maybe he hasn't told you yet. Okay, you got to wait. But it should, instead of getting, oh, he's never, he never answered. Instead of doing that, you should be getting more excited. Well, maybe it's today. Maybe it'll be an hour from now. Maybe it'll be t tomorrow. And we should get excited. We need to keep on going to him. Okay, continually. Why? Because think about it. God is the ultimate source of wisdom. How many guys can figure that out this morning without any help? Thank you for... <laughs> Which means, listen, did you realize when we go to God and we keep going to God, even if you got to wait and you keep on going, when he does and he will, if you don't doubt, when he does, do you realize he's never going to give you bad advice? There's no question about that. Did you know God will never steer us wrong? Did you know that God doesn't lie like man? Did you know he's not deficient like man? God is the ultimate source of knowledge. He is omniscient, all-knowing. All means all. Past, present, future. He knows it all. Nobody's bigger than him. Nobody's smarter than him. So man, if you needed some advice, and you somehow could have the ability to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the creator of the universe, wouldn't that be cool to have that at your fingertips? And God says, listen, that is what comes with the relationship with me now through Jesus. And so when you're in a trial, I love you, you're my child. You not just come to me, you keep on coming to me. And I'm going to blow you away, okay? God knows everything. Now, here's the problem. When trials hit, what do we do? Do we continually keep going to God? Okay, we forget, don't we? And we continually do something, all right? We continually go to other sources other than God, making our trials worse and not doing what he says to do or waiting for him to tell us what to do. And we crack and we cave in and we wonder why things get 10 times worse. It's because we don't continually go to God. So I want to dispel three things that uh, we seem to be, at least I've learned in my walk with Jesus, that we need to get out of this knee-jerk reaction to go to something else other than God when the trials hit. Okay, and the first one that we seem to go through, there's Lord one three, is our feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. You guys remember that song? That's about the only line I remember from that song. But anyway, that's why, and that's probably good. Uh, feelings, don't trust your feelings. But don't we do that? Isn't that what the world says today? You got to do what feels right, man. Just follow your heart. And that will tell you what to do in this trial. Isn't that the baloney? Well, the Bible says you better not trust the heart. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. And uh, man, that's the last place you want to go. Okay? But yet that's the mantra of the world today, isn't it? Just got to follow your heart. Whatever feels right. It's up to you. Okay, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah, of course, as you turn there, was written by 
Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, verse 5, let's take a look here. I think it's pretty obvious in the text. You don't want to trust man. You don't want to trust yourself. Okay? Uh, and God gives a great analogy of, here's what you can expect if you do do that anyway. Okay? Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says this. This is what the who says. The Lord says. In other words, pay attention. Cursed is the one who puts his trust in who? Man. Who depends on the what? Flesh for his strength. And whose heart turns away. What's the context? When you go through the trial, you are commanded not only to go to God, you are commanded to continually go to God. And he says right here, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here's what you get. You're going to be like a bush in the wastelands. You're not going to see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where nobody lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. <clears throat> its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Why? Because, listen, when you go the other route, it's, here's the problem. Don't trust in man. The heart is what? Deceitful. Listen, it's not just deceitful. It's deceitful what? Above all things. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand that thing? Right? So the Bible says that uh, contrary to what society would say, the human heart is not a very good source of advice or wisdom. Right? In fact, it says right there, it's not only wicked, it is downright deceitful. You can't trust the thing. Okay? Why? Because if you notice, your feelings can lead you astray. Right? Well, I felt like it was a great idea, right? Or I got up and I just felt like this was the thing to do. Or I was in this circumstance and it felt like it was the way to go. And how many of you guys got burned by that? So why would you want to listen to something that is completely downright deceitful and wicked in and of itself, the old man, instead of God? Listen, especially in hard times when you need it the most. Why would we want to do that? And say, well, I'm just going to do what it feels right. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes when does our heart, when does our flesh want to be appeased the most? When you're going all the time, but especially when you're in hard times, you feel like, yeah, it's playtime. I deserve it because I'm going to this hard time, right? And sometimes that leads to sin, okay? But why would we want to do that? Folks, I don't care how good something feels. It doesn't make it right, nor does it make it a wise thing to do. But here's the problem. As long as we would rather listen to our feelings instead of our Heavenly Father, we are headed for trouble. Now, I can sit up here. I want to get to at least three points today. I can give you story after story after story, man. And I'm sure you guys got your own of what happens when you don't listen to God. You instead listen to your own feelings because it felt right and how much of a nightmare uh, it turned out. I'm just going to share with you one story. This is uh, unfortunately true. Uh, this was uh, uh, in high school. After high school, my friend and I worked for uh, my dad at this uh, uh, brick plant. They also had this uh, pottery. They made pottery that shipped around the Midwest back in Kansas. And uh, so we did that after high school at night. And, uh, and so it, it was just a really boring, monotonous, uh, tedious job. It literally was just hour after hour. You just would take these clay pots, right? And uh, just pop them in a box, put in like five in a box, whatever, six in the box, and here comes the, the, um, the saucer thing, whatever. Whether you tape it up, whatever, and here's a box. Here it comes with some more. You just put it in the box, put it in the box. It's just it, mindless, boring, monotonous work, right? So we're sitting there in the middle of this uh, uh, extremely boring work uh, at night, all by ourselves, and all of a sudden, we got an idea to help alleviate our boredom. We felt like it was a good idea. I'm not kidding you. Here's what we did. We decided to mark one of the bottom of the pots with our black magic markers that were supposed to be reserved for the outside of the box. 
But we decided to use it on the bottom of this random pot, okay, that, hey, uh, quote, uh, you are the lucky owner of the one millionth piece of pottery that this company has produced, and if you return it, you'll be refunded $10,000. Oh, dude, it sounded like, a, it was, it, it, honestly, it worked. It alleviated our boredom. We chuckled at our creativity. It felt, it's so awesome. And we made it through the night. And I, to be honest with you, we completely forgot about it, okay, until about three months later. My dad randomly calls us into his office, right? And we, for the life of us, this is three months later, right? We'd forgotten all about that. We're like, what, what's, what do we do now? We, we didn't do anything. What's we, we were literally, we're, it's like, what, this makes no sense. What are you calling us in here for? We get in there and we're like, well, what's the big deal? Until, and he was, he was in there like going like this. Do you know what that look the dad gives you? Like your life's in jeopardy, okay? And doing this number. And we're like, we're like still going like, what, what do we do now? Until our eyes met with our wise idea on his desk. I kid you not, some customer, some lucky customer, <laughs> Uh, took our method of alleviating our boredom seriously. And they wanted a $10,000 credit to their account. Yeah, we didn't feel good after that meeting with my dad. And, uh, but uh, it taught me a powerful lesson. Spur of the moment. And of course, that's a funny one. Okay, that's a funny example, right? Uh, but how many times uh, do we ourselves listen to our feelings, our knee-jerk reaction, and it's not funny? Okay. Uh, Dad let us off the hook with the $10,000. The, at first, they were persistent. No, we demand, and they, they finally backed off once Dad explained it was a joke. I don't know if he said it was from his own son, but anyway, I never asked him that. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but sometimes when we react with our feelings instead of going to God, it creates a nightmare, doesn't it? Because our flesh wants revenge. We went, oh, you know, it feels right. You're going to get, right? And it makes things worse. James says, listen, you want that uh, continual joy? then you continually go to God. Don't let a knee-jerk reaction, the first thing you do when you hit a trial, don't go to your feelings. It's the last place you want to go. It's deceitful. It's fickle. You need to go to God, especially when hard times hit. We, and I really think this is part of the deal, because you can, you can know you can know these 20 different amazing, awesome reasons why God is allowing this trial to hit. We can know that. But I think that this is really where it helps to continually keep that joy going. It's to not just acknowledge the good, it's to go to the good place to get the good wisdom we need to make good out of this trial. And that is God. We know that as Christians, we say that as Christians, we'll preach on it as Christians, but when the rubber hits the road and the trials come, oftentimes we don't go to God. We go somewhere else. And we wonder why things get worse. So don't go to your feelings. The second place uh, is not only your feelings, is your friends, because we all know that our friends are omniscient like God and everything they've ever told us in life is wonderful. Yes, that's not true either. Job chapter 42 is the text there. He learned that. He had a couple buddies there, three of them, and uh, called his comforters. Uh, I think more adequately, they would be called his torturers. <laughs> Job chapter 42. Let's take a look there. And uh, towards the end of the book there, and uh, Job's uh, learned a lesson, man. No need to question God. When he says something, it's the best. You don't need to question him. Just keep your mouth shut and do what he says. You're going to come out on top. Okay, and so Job kind of gets into that. Like, okay, I, gotta, I learned my lesson, God. But then God starts talking about his three, quote, buddies who tried to give Job advice. And listen to what God says about their advice. Okay, Job 42, verse 1 says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you, God, can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? 
Surely, Job says, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. How could I ever even doubt you, God? You know all things. You can do whatever you want to do. You know what's right and what's best. The, the fact that I would even, even flirt with even thinking that, I despise myself for doing that. What an attack on your character. Then he goes to his three buddies. Now, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to uh, Eliphaz, uh, the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So were his three buddies great advice or not? No. In fact, you need to pay attention to that in the context when you read through the book of Job. Okay, it recounts what these guys said, but that doesn't mean everything they said is right. Okay, you got to pay attention to that. Okay, the Bible records that which is good, bad, and ugly. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing to do. It's just God being obviously honest. He doesn't lie in the accounts, good, bad, or ugly. For instance, the Bible records for us, and Judas went and hung himself. Well, it says there in the Bible, so that's what we got to do. No, you got to read the context. And I'm telling you, a lot of people get uh, strayed when it comes to the book of Job because they don't realize that a lot of the verbiage that's spoken here is coming from Job's three friends, but that doesn't mean it's the best advice. Get the context. God actually rebukes them at the end for what they said. They were not right. Okay, so that's a little side note. But here's the point. Job's three friends were not a good source of wisdom. They were not only saying wrong things, they were saying bad advice. And God was a little upset with them, right? So here's the point. Our friends are not omniscient like God, okay? Which means they're not always going to get it right. So why in the world would we have a knee-jerk reaction in our trial and immediately go on the phone, text somebody, call whoever, whatever, and ask for their advice instead of God? Listen, especially in hard times when you need it most. Oh, and by the way, when we come to God, did you know he always has the right answer? Did you, always, did you know he's never going to give you bad advice like Job's three friends? It's always right. It's always best 100% of the time. Why in the world would we even think of going somewhere else? Feelings are bad enough. I think that's just a knee-jerk reaction that we got to deal with, with between the battle between the spirit and the flesh. But our friends? Why would you ask advice from your friend? No, no. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't. Okay, you know, well, I'm never going to talk to Pastor Billy for advice because he's, I need to, I'm not saying that. But, I do, will say this, you still need to go to God first before you come to me. Now, maybe God, he'll say, well, go talk to Pastor Billy or brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You know, okay, that, that's one thing, but go to God first. Why? Because listen, even human advice is not the best advice. Our friends are not omniscient like God, okay? And just because they say it's a good thing to do, that doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. Now, as a parent, how many times have you said this phrase to your kid? Well, just because everybody else jumped over a cliff doesn't mean you have to. Remember that thing? <laughs> How many times? Have you guys ever get to the point where all of a sudden the things that your parents said to you is coming out of your mouth? Yes, but I digress. Let's move on. Uh, no, okay. Uh, we uh, need to go to God first. Now listen, uh, let me give you an example, once again, um, about listening to your friends is not a good thing. Okay, this is just one. I know it's a shocker. I have many but this is just, I, I couldn't believe this. I had a, a friend come up to me in Bible college, right? And I used to uh, uh, lead worship, uh, help lead worship at Bible college and stuff of that nature with guitar. 
And uh, so, and then we'd have Friday night Bible studies and kind of play guitar and do stuff for that too. And so he told me, he says, hey, there's this traveling evangelist coming to Sacramento, okay? And, and uh, you need to check it out, okay? And so I thought, well, okay, so, you know, we'll, we'll check it out. And, and uh, so I, my, my problem was uh, I, I, I listened to my friend. I took their word for it, that this was a legit, uh, above reproach, evangelist, nothing to worry about. <clears throat> Check references. That was a major mega <laughs> thing. So we get in Sacramento. We get all the gear in hand, right? We get into this rented conference room where they're having this evangelist meeting, right? And so, you know, but, you know we're part of the worship team, right? And so we're getting up there. Now, as I get into the conference room, Okay, all of a sudden I see these major mega uh, uh, video equipment. I mean the big industrial kinds like they have on TV stations. Well, uh, they were getting set up too. So this thing was going to be broadcast all over Sacramento. So I'm going, hey, this is going to be pretty cool. You know, I'm going to, you know, play worship and it's going to be on TV all over Sacramento, right? So unfortunately my head was swelling. God was getting ready for the spanking. And so we're going up there and just feeling kind of cool, feeling important, right? We're going on TV all over Northern California. And uh, this is great. Man, my friend's a genius. I'm glad he told me to do this and, and all that stuff. And, and we get in there. And then after we got done with our time of worship, before the evangelists got up to do their thing. And so we, we of course, got to sit on the front row, right? And so we're sitting there on the front row, right? At the important seats, you know? And, whatever. and so the evangelist gets going into their message. And I kid you not, it was utter blasphemy. It was the word of faith stuff where the, they literally were sitting there going, God's giving me a word, he's giving me a word in, and you, sister, a God is putting on your heart, I can hear it right now, he's wanting you to get at your checkbook right now, $500. You come up here right now, you cut that check for $500, you put it into play, he's going to give you five grand. I, he's giving me another word, it's a, it's, brother, it's a thousand. You come up here, God's moving, he, I, don't deny it, don't, he's moving on your heart. It was, oh, I, I wanted to puke. So I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. I couldn't leave the place. I was like uh, uh, captured in there because I had all my guitar equipment. There's no, I wanted to run, but there's no way I'm leaving my guitar, amp, the whole nine yards. No way. So I'm sitting there going, oh, I just, I got I to gotta get out of here. And I, I, I can't. And then all of a sudden I remembered it's being broadcast on TV, right? And so I'm saying, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Well, it was just the beginning portion, just the worship time. So I thought, worst case scenario, if anybody actually was channel surfing and saw this, Okay, then I could basically, maybe they didn't see the first part and it was only evangelist. And so, but just in case, to make sure that I was out of view of the cameras, I kid you not, I slowly, so as to not uh, get noticed, I started scrunching down in my seat like this on the front row so that I'd get out of the camera's view, right? And so I'm sitting there, I'm just slowly going like this, and they're still spewing forth their baloney, right? And I'm sitting there going like this, I'm, I'm going slower, lower and lower, and I, my head's just about the top of the chair, and I'm just starting to smile like I did it. And I looked in front of me, and I realized that from uh, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, that back wall was lined with mirrors. <laughs> Suddenly, I looked at my reflection. It dawned on me there was no way of escape. <laughs> and all I did was give the cameras a great view of some dork on the front row. <laughs> anyway, but uh, lesson, listen. Your friend's advice, I don't care how good it is. It doesn't make it as good as God. It'll never be as good as God's. Okay, and, grant, and granted, listen, I, I've shared a humorous one with you, right? And you probably have some of your own. But how many times have you not gone to God and you listened to your friend? Can I say this? Even a Christian friend. Just because, of, I'm not saying that we, we need to have that good fellowship and we need to trust one another and we need to be that band of brothers and sisters, so to speak. 
And we do need to be there. As the scripture says, when, when we rejoice, rejoice. When, when another weeps, we weep with them, right? We need to have that. But listen, just because they're a Christian doesn't mean that they're thinking like God or that they're going to go by the scripture or what they say to you is the best. It all has to be even that filtered by God. But don't make that your first knee-jerk reaction. How many times have you guys listened to a friend's advice and it didn't go so well, right? Why would we do that? Especially when hard times hit. It sounds so simple, and this is why I belabor the point. What did the scripture say? And if any of you is in uh, need wisdom, if you're in a trial, he should ask God. Four words. But what do we do? Why, does that, why is it that we sit there and we go, oh, God must be doing something awesome in our trial. It's going to be, it's incredible. Maybe it's this one, maybe it's that one. And we're kind of joyful for a while. Then why all of a sudden does that joy start to go away? And it's not continue like James says we could have. Well, because maybe we don't continually do what God says. When you're in that trial, you keep on going to God. Stop listening to your feelings. Don't go to your friends. Come to me, God says. I'm not going to steer you wrong. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. If anybody wants you to know my will, it's me. Right? Third one, this one blows me away because this is all over the church, man. Uh, and that's a Freudian psychology. Okay? Listen to this. To open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. Find 2 Corinthians, what do you do? Hang on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's take a look at man's wisdom. Yeah, who is the key word there? Man's wisdom. What, but more importantly, let's take a look at what God says about man's wisdom. Right? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let's take a look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of, uh, of God, uh, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is what? Wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Okay? So according to our text, what we see here, God's version is, uh, contrary to what society would say, even the most brilliant minds on planet Earth are not a very good source of wisdom. Now when I, I read that, what popped through my head was this statement. Did you realize, let me put it in context, Stephen Hawking, with his IQ, listen, still has it wrong about God. Did you know that? One of the highest IQs, most likely, on the planet, he still has it wrong about God. So why would you listen to him? Why would you listen to anybody else? Why would you listen to somebody who, well, they've got to be smart because they're wearing a suit and they got a degree. Why? Why would you listen to somebody else over God. The Bible says here, listen, man's wisdom in comparison to God's wisdom is not only foolishness, it's absolute nonsense. 
Now listen, I bring this home because this has infected the church horribly so. There's a world of difference between secular psychology and biblical counseling. They don't mix. And I got a theory and it goes like this. The Bible was perfectly fine for wisdom for 1900 years before Freud showed up on the scene. God didn't need his help. All right, there might be some practical things, but listen, God is the ultimate source of wisdom. The Bible's just fine. And if you listen, if you know the scripture, Christian, you are competent to counsel. You don't need to be infested with man's so-called wisdom, which God calls nonsense in comparison to his, in order to help somebody out. I didn't say that God did. But we've been so brainwashed by our world that when trials hit... When you're having trouble, don't go to God, don't go to the scripture, don't pick up the Bible. You need to make an appointment with a secular psychologist. I'll say Stephen Hawking's probably much smarter as far as an IQ than psychologists, with all due respect. But even he, again, with his high IQ, is he getting it right about God? So why would I want to listen to not just him, but anybody else, okay? Listen, we've been conditioned by our society to seek man's professional help instead of the power of God. That's our knee-jerk reaction. Instead of the power of God. It's absolutely crazy. When a crisis hits in our country, have you noticed the trend? Back in the day when a crisis hit, okay? If there, first of all, it wasn't school shootings like there were today, but some major crisis, Right? They, on TV, if they would interview, who would they used to call to come in and counsel the victims? A pastor. Not anymore. Who do they call in? A psychologist. What does that tell you? What does man elevate more than God? Man. Man's wisdom, they said, is supreme than God. We don't need God. We don't need the scripture and pastors and anybody, don't have to be a pastor, but any Christian who knows the scripture, you're not worthy. Your advice is not as good as our advice. Now here's one, it's one thing for the world to do that. But the church is getting sucked into it, hook, line, and sinker. And somehow we think that we are not competent to give godly advice just by knowing the Bible. As if that's bad. Now, just to flip it around, did you know, historically, that the lies of secular psychologists, the track record, is typically their lives are just as bad as their patients, and a lot of times even worse. So, not only from a scriptural point of view, why would I want to listen to man when you don't have the same wisdom as God, and your so-called wisdom is ridiculous compared to God, but your own so-called wisdom isn't even working for you. Why would I want to listen to you? I've shared this many times before. I'm going to share it again. I want to give you an idea. These are the pillars of what has been elevated as the top-notch uh, uh, wisdom that we need to go to, secular psychology. These are the pillars that we are told we need to run to, not God. We need to run to. Listen to their backgrounds. I'm supposed to listen to these guys? Sigmund Freud was an evolutionist. Mm. So everything that comes out of his mind from that point forward is not going to be godly. He was an evolutionist who believed that man had evolved from lower animals and that the idea of an almighty God was just a myth made up by our forefathers to cope with life. Freud was also a believer in the positive health benefits of cocaine. And he was a user of it himself for many years. He also had a severe addiction to nicotine to the tune of smoking an average of 20 cigars a day, which eventually led to his death. And he refused to be psychoanalyzed himself even by his own teachings. 
called a hypocrite. And that's the founder of this thing that even the church today says, nope, don't go to the Bible, don't go to God, don't listen to James, don't, if you're in trial, go to God, and continually go to, no, 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 make an appointment. What? I'm supposed to listen to that guy? That's nothing. Abraham Maslow said the motivation for his life's work was his, quote, absolute hatred for his mother. And I'm going to go to listen to you for advice. Karen Horney, she's another pillow. She decided she wasn't happy with her marriage after two years, so she began a life of constant sexual affairs to which her husband did not object. She also was said to have a serious sexual addiction for young men, which included her students and fellow colleagues, and she even had sexual relations with other women as well. And I'm going to you for family counsel. What? One more, because this is the other big pillar. Freud is one. Young, Carl Young is the other. Listen to this guy's background. Carl Young, I'm not making this up, made a wooden man out of a ruler. He had a ruler. It was wooden. He carved it. He made a wooden man out of that thing that he called mannequin. And he kept it in a wooden case, and he frequently talked to it in times of trouble. Where did Carl Young go to for times of trouble? He carved a goofball guy called mannequin out of a ruler, kept it in a box. Hi, mannequin. I'm having a rough day. You can't make this stuff up. The Bible says, go to God. I'm going to mannequin. Hi, mannequin. Hi. <laughs> and we go to these guys instead of God. This is nuts. It gets better. He not only talked to mannequin in times of trouble. Uh, he even had a mystical experience while sitting on a rock where he couldn't tell if he was the rock or the rock was him. Later, he records, and this is his own writings. Uh, he had what he considered a major spiritual breakthrough in life when he had a vision of God supposedly going to the bathroom on a church sanctuary from the sky. Major breakthrough, he said, in his life. Now, what most people don't get is the further background of this guy. He was also completely absorbed in the occult. He studied their teachings. He attended seances. He listened to mediums. He practiced necromancy and had daily contact, daily contact with disembodied spirits called, that he called archetypes. The Bible calls them demons. Now, one of them, it, uh, uh, he called, he gave the name Philemon. Spoke to him all the time. And here's what he says about this figure. He said, Philemon and other figures of my fantasies brought home to me the crucial insight that there are things in the psyche which I do not produce, but which produce themselves and have their own life. Philemon represented a force which was not myself. In my fantasies, I held conversations with him. And he said things which I had not consciously thought. For I observed clearly it was he who spoke, not I. So where did he get the inspiration for his teachings that everybody, even in the church, is saying we got to follow? From a demon. His own writings admit it. Can you believe that? He said Philemon was a mysterious figure to me. I went walking up and down the garden with him. And he was uh, what the Indians call a guru. Well, if you read the Bible, it's called a demon. And you need to get out of there. Now, here's the point. Why anybody in the world, let alone a Christian, go to any of these ungodly people for advice is beyond me. It's not just crazy, it's demonic. In fact, I don't know about you, but how many guys would say, probably taking a look at their lives, the pillars of secular psychology, that those guys in secular psychology had a few psychological problems. And yet we're supposed to go to them. I love Proverbs 12 verse 8 says this. Everyone admires a person with good sense. 
But a warped mind is despised. And this is how twisted the enemy has it. Why, Christian, is it so hard for us to maintain that joy in our trials? It's warped. Our society is warped. We don't have any longer good enough sense to recognize when somebody's got a warped mind, like a Freudian psychologist. Anything that comes from them, folks, is not only going to be, ultimately, as these people admit, from a demonic source, oftentimes, but it's unbiblical, right? It's anti-Christian. It's anti-God. So why in the world would our knee-jerk reaction, let alone ever even mess with it, be in our trials, we go to those guys instead of God? Here's just some of their advice. I've had to deal with this thing. I've had to pick up the pieces from Christians going to secular counseling and try to get them back on track. Because here's just a few of the lies that they tell people when they come to them for trials. What, uh, they're told to blame their parents for their problems. You know how many relationships that has destroyed, that lie? Adam and Eve tried to blame their behavior on something else other than themselves. How did that fly with God? Genesis 3. Not very well. But that's what these people are saying to do. They say, and I've had to deal with this, divorce your spouse as soon as they don't meet your needs. They say that you need to love yourself and put yourself first in any and all situations more than anyone else on the planet. Listen, including God. Because if you don't learn to love yourself first, how could you ever love God, let alone other people? Complete opposite of what the scripture says. Isn't that wild? I've had to pick up the pieces, okay? So I got a theory and it goes like this. Wouldn't it be wise to seek advice from the one who knows all things, never makes a mistake, never changes, never gives bad advice, always gets it right the first time, always time. Um, something like maybe God. Anybody thinking? Pretty simple. We need to go to God and we need to go to him first. I'll close with this analogy. There was this uh, young man, he was getting ready to graduate from college. And uh, for many months, he had admired a beautiful sports car in this dealer's showroom, knowing that his father could well afford it. He told him that's what he wanted. That's all he wanted for graduating college. So finally, on the morning of his graduation, the young man's father called him into his private study. And there his father told him how proud he was to have such a fine son. And he told him how much he loved him. And, and then he handed his son a beautifully wrapped gift box. Well, curious, and, uh, but yet somewhat disappointed, uh, the young man opened the box and he found a lovely leather-bound Bible with the man's, young man's name embossed in gold. So now he's angry. He actually raised his voice to his dad and said, with all your money, you give me a Bible? And he stormed out of the house. Well, many years passed. And the young man became very successful in business. He had lots of money and beautiful home, the whole materialism thing. Uh, but he started to realize that his dad's getting pretty old and he thought he'd better go to him uh, because he had not seen his dad, not even once, since that graduation day. But before he could make arrangements, he received a telegram telling him his father had passed away and he willed all his possessions to his son. So when he arrived to his father's house, sudden sadness and regret filled his heart. He, it was too late. And as he searched through his father's important papers and saw the still gift-wrapped Bible just as he had left it years ago. But now with tears in his eyes, he opened up the Bible and he began to turn the pages. And he noticed that his father had carefully underlined a verse in Matthew 7, 11 that says, And ye, if ye being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father, which is in heaven, give to those who ask him? And as he read those words, a car key dropped from the back of the Bible. It had the tag with a dealer's name on it 
the same dealer who had the sports car he wanted so long ago, and on the tag was the date of his graduation and the words paid in full. Hmm. How many guys would say that guy was a little sorry for not opening the Bible earlier on a multitude of levels? It ain't just about the car. It ruined his relationship with his dad. And now he can't get it back. Listen, it's the same thing with you and I. And this is what I think James is trying to get through our heads. We do the same thing, guys, when we don't do what God says to do. You need to continually come to Him in your trial. Him first. Continually. Don't stop. It's a command. Keep on coming to God. Instead of going to our feelings, knee-jerk reaction, or our friends, or even secular psychology, you've got to keep asking God. Or we're going to miss out on a major mega blessing that was there the whole time. It was there. How many years did the finally guy finally get it? How many years? How many trials have we gone through that's absolutely tormenting us when it doesn't need to if we would just, yeah, this is the best thing. Dad was right. I should have cracked this open a whole lot earlier than what I did. Now listen, listen, this isn't just keep on asking God just for our benefit. Remember, what's the theme of this? This is what I think is leading us into the next verse. Okay, the whole point is this, is so you can be a positive witness. I really believe it isn't just about you and I having continual joy so we can enjoy continual joy, even though I think there's an element of that being his kids. But the reason why he wants us to have that continual joy is because as we're out in the world, it's a positive witness, right? And so if we would just go to God First, we're going to maintain that positive joy, which means we're going to maintain a positive witness. It's not just knowing that there's good in this. It's continually going to God so you continually have the right behavior, which means you'll continually have the right witness. Now listen, God, listen, wants this so much for us to continually have the joy so we'll continually be a positive witness. Listen, he says that when you do come to him for wisdom... Listen, he's not just going to give you a little bit of it. He's not just going to dribble a little bit here or there. He is going to pour it out on you that you can't even contain, bubbling over. More wisdom than you even know what to do with. It just keeps getting better as you go if you just go to God in the first place. We'll get to that. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments 
uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins?
The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.